just joining us. Bob Bailey here. Takes a snap. Oh my God! His head fell off. Oh my goodness! Flags are everywhere. River McGee. Let me know when we're rocking and rolling. Sweet. Every mic is a hot mic. Keep that in mind. Exactly. I've been arrested for murder for that shit. I think actually even the surveillance tapes can be used against you and yep. stuff like that, right? Uh, well, you realize too, if you have TikTok, like hackers can turn your phone, your uh, microphone, and your camera on even if it's off. Really? Are, oh, we, yeah. are we rolling right now? So wait, wait, TikTok. Actually, that's interesting. So, so what do you what do you mean? Well, the hackers, because China's taking over. What is that? You always scare me with these talks. First well, of all, I, I mean, because I'll tell the truth. Okay. Well, uh, I know that. Yeah. <laughs> I know that 100%. Robert will so, never not tell the truth here. Uh, no, I'm, uh, that's why, like, when you go to, if you go to ever, ever been to a place like the White House or stuff like that, you you put all your shit in a soundproof, foam proof lockbox, like a, like at a bank. So if you go to the White oh, House, turn it on right now. That's like, you know, like you heard stories of people like to put the tape over the thing where you're jerking off. Yeah. I don't do that because I'm like, if someone caught me jerking off, I'm like, so I'm the one, huh? Right. Just me. Yeah. And I'd be proud of it. True. I'm gonna, true yeah. There's nothing to How mean, did it look? Like I talked to Porto before. <laughs> I'm kind of like pro dick pic. I'm not really like, I'm proud of this shit. For a little guy like myself, I'm fucking proud of it, you know? You guys packing heat. But anyways, Robert O'Neill. Yes. Back in the house. Me and Robert always sit down with each other because I fucking, I mean, Robert, A, I just admire your whole entire life and your story. And I'm always envious of people that do things that I could never do in my life. Well, you'd be surprised. Um, no, I can't that, do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we uh, we were just, well, we were talking about SEALs uh, um, a little bit off off camera. Uh, and we we see guys that are that go in as professional athletes, um, co- collegiate athletes that don't make it through because uh, skinny guys, gray men, guys that you don't think can do it, can do it. Uh, guys like me have trouble. I have long arms, couldn't do pull ups very well. Yeah, no. guys with shorter arms can, but then they're not tall enough to put their head under, under the boat. So it's always the the what if factor. It's it's a mentality mindset. If you have a mindset to get through stuff, and and I don't mean like uh, get from here to the end of the month. I'm talking about get from here to that uh, lettuce wrap. Right, like that's your your. And if your if your goal in life is too too long, make it shorter. Yeah. Yeah. And you can do it. You so know, that's seal, you know what O'Neill, I admire about O'Neill is that he travels because every doing these podcasts, you deal with all different sorts of people, right? So you get like Bobby Schmurter, he'll roll in with like eight people. You got like, you know, different people will come in that we've done in the past that rolling with an entourage. You've always just rolled in solo. Yeah. It's a, it's a, one of those hiding in plain sight type things that I, uh, I learned actually not learned, but I, Got to use in, well, I lived in Jalalabad, Afghanistan in 2005. And that's uh, not exactly white boy country, you know, no. but if I would rather roll in a, a local looking vehicle that doesn't have armor, as opposed to a big black suburban with armor, because that's an American, this might like, you'll see pictures of me in, in some of my local garb. I don't blend, but it's mm-hmm. enough just to not raise attention. By the time you kind of notice you could be gone. As opposed to rolling with an entourage, people are looking. It's like it's like the it's like the the server at a restaurant that comes out with the fajitas. Right, everyone looks. But did you ever have security, especially right Wait, after? Every, oh yeah, yeah. You so you had immediately right after you came forward and spoke on, which we've talked about forever, and we're not going to do as much uh, is the Bin Laden stuff. Mm-hmm. After that came out, and you came back to the states. I, yeah, you had to have been traveling with security because you, had a, you had a target on your head. I still have security. Just some places you need to do what's called a risk assessment and it's never, nothing is ever the same flavor as everything else. Um, you know, you never, you never step into the same river. Mm-hmm. It's moving. Uh, so as opposed to me rolling down Broadway with five dudes, I'll look somewhere. I just walk like this and, and no one's going to really notice. And like, you know, yeah, you're hiding. I'm, I'm making noise. Yeah. Now, if I go somewhere and it's, it's pre-announced like my golf event, for example, there's going to be security there. There's going to be cops there. If I'm giving a public event, we just saw a Salman Rushdie got stabbed 
11 times by a crazy person. If I'm announcing I'm going to be the speech, there will be security mm-hmm. there. I'll usually have something on me where I can defend myself. Was there tons of uh, anxiety and paranoia, not only just what you went through in the, the with your efforts and and whatnot in the Middle East and where, where else, but is there like anxiety and paranoia as to still now that people would be after you? Uh, not the, the scare, the scariest thing is you need to worry about complacency because it hasn't happened mm-hmm. and a terrorist needs to be right one time. Mm-hmm. And the problem with being too successful, that success causes complacency. Well, it hasn't happened yet. It has, and they need to be right once. So uh, at first the, the nerves were all about the unknown. I'm the only guy that's ever killed in Laden. Now what? Because you know my name's come, my name has come out. I'm a, I'm a, acknowledging it. Now what? Yeah. How, how do I? And, and now the realization that it's, it's gone a lot better. But uh, it's it's like not having a shotgun by my bed. What if Al Qaeda rolls into my room and I don't have it one night? Right. But but now they're not they're not everywhere. It's it's a it's kind of a guessing game, but a, more of a preparation game. And I'd rather need it. I'd rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it. So the standard stuff with. Uh, you know, don't make it too hard for them to get in because you can't get out. But then little stuff, cameras, like we were talking about ring or have cameras, have alarm systems, have guns. If you can have dogs, have dogs. Mm-hmm. And then just, I mean, you know, and also be able to defend yourself mm-hmm. because you are your last line of defense in most cases. So right. there's a lot of guys that obviously the PTSD thing is obviously real and all that. Do you, did you ever suffer from all that stuff and waking up in the middle of the night yeah. and all that shit? And because you've seen some crazy ass yeah, shit. It, the P. The PTSD, the post-traumatic stress comes with me at least, and, and most like Marines that I know, most SEALs that I know, most Army guys, soldiers and airmen, uh, the further you get away from it, the worse it gets because the realization, for me at least, starts to kick in that what we were doing was not normal. At the time when we were killing 20 people a night, everyone around me was doing that, so it seemed normal. But now you get away from it and you start to wonder about the humanity of things. <laughs> I've thought about guys that I've killed in their bedroom. It's like, but I wouldn't have killed him if I wasn't in his bedroom. Like I can't, I kind of came there, right? but he was a bad guy. I've never mm-hmm. killed anyone. I didn't mean to, I never killed anyone on accident, mm-hmm. but you start to realize that, that mm-hmm. you start to realize that um, most people are just trying to get on with their lives. So the further you get away from wondering if I would have gotten along with this guy in a different situation, that mm-hmm. starts to fuck with you. And then obviously the, the complete, violence the permanence of war the how fast and loud it is how scary it is mm-hmm. so it, it does it does kick in i mean and there there are nights that you'll have nightmares about dinosaurs and then there are nights you, you won't have nightmares and then mm-hmm. there will be some i had i, I those know are the, those are nightmares i have about <laughs> dinosaurs you know what i had a nightmare about last night yeah, yeah was uh i shit you not my fantasy football draft Really? I, my first pick, I fucked This is it. perfect. This is a sports show. We're supposed to talk about sports. It's amazing. Yeah, I, I had it. I had it for some, there was some weird argument going on. And I, I had my first pick was like the middle. Yeah. And I picked the wrong running back or I picked a quarterback that I didn't want to or something. Okay. And that was my, I woke up. I'm like, oh, it was just a nightmare. Is so, your fantasy football league compiled of just the most badass men in America? Or is uh, it just there's some funny dudes. Mine is run by a Navy SEAL in Tucson, Arizona, who owns four uh, bar restaurants called the Trident. Right. His name is Nelson Miller and he's a Navy SEAL and mm-hmm. uh, a bunch of uh, a bunch of veterans and bar owners are in that one. It's a lot of fun. I enjoy I enjoy the shit out of fantasy football. It gives me because I uh, my, my team vanished. So I, I, I only have Sunday and Monday night for uh, my fantasy team. I was a Redskins fan and and they're gone. Wait, wait, I, I don't you know can't how, say that anymore. I know. Right. That's what I'm saying. So what is the Redskins? I, th- I don't know. I, I mean, I, I, I still I'm going to say it. I, well, because when I say Redskins, I think Art Monk, Gary Clark, I think okay. Doug Williams. Wow. I just think of the Washington Redskins. That's what I'm saying. I mean, now and like they they what are they? It's is it the, the Commanders? So they did another switch. They're the Commanders. So they were you the, know, you they know, were the football team though before the football team. I would have been fine with the Washington football. But that team. is the most uncreative name of all time. 
Yes. I can imagine them having a whiteboard and like going through all, and they're like, you know what? Fuck it. Football team. The football team, but that's still good. What, what's wrong with the hogs? I like the hogs. The hogs. The, the hogs are the linemen. Joe Jacoby, the linemen. Is Grimm. it like a huge cock on the helmet? Is that what it is? No, it's a, well, that would have been even better. <laughs> See, the, speaking of the helmet. Like, fuck it. You're not going to let us use the Redskins? Fuck it. Here's a huge yeah, dick on the side if, of the helmet. If they, just, the if they would have just changed the damn emblem and had it be a potato, boom, you're still the Redskins. Okay. Nothing wrong with that. Right, right. Yeah. But then, they, but see, the thing I hate about the commanders is that that's something some dipshit in a suit came up with. Well, we should be the commanders. Mm-hmm. Like the guy that didn't go to war. The yeah. commanders. Yeah. Be the grunts. Be the hogs. I be, still want another guy who came up with the football team. Or Smartest you know they should have done if you, if you think about it, because it's Washington sports and all the political correctness. They changed the name of the basketball team a couple of years ago. Yeah. They should have made the Redskins the bullets. Right, right, right. There you go. Right back. Full circle, baby. So you have now your own podcast. It's called what? The Operator the Podcast? The Operator Podcast. Okay. And uh, I started that because my first book was called The Operator. Mm-hmm. And I, I love the mentality because I'm not calling myself The Operator. The operator to me is anybody who is getting on with their lives. Anyone who's do, making shit happen. Like uh, the, 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 the garbage guys that wake up in the morning to get the trash out of Manhattan mm-hmm. and they don't get any thanks to get shit paid, but they're supporting their families. That's an operator. The single mom who raises a family is an operator. So me being a Navy SEAL who's an operator, I can, I can give my points of view on life as an operator to another operator who's listening to me and take questions, things like that. So the operator podcast, of course, I'm going to talk about some military stuff, but then I'm breaking into, uh, I love the Q and a stuff on Instagram. I answer those kind of questions and I'm going to get like, we're talking about fantasy football and sports right now. I want to get into that, but I want it to be more of a, I want my podcast, the operator podcast to be, I just met you at a bar. We're having a drink and here's how we talk to each other. Right. That's which all. Is that's always, so, so it's fun. They I'm, are fun. Don't you enjoy these things? I, I really like it because you can, you know, you can talk. It's a platform. You can say what's on your mind as opposed to something on social media where you can kind of get labeled or whatever. You, you're actually able to explain like myself. I explained why well, I was a dickhead on that tweet, but here's what I meant. Right. Did you talk, do you go into detail about any missions? Cause you have some fucking crazy ass missions that you've been on in your life. Yeah, the first few I'm going through were I, I need to address some like, obviously the Bin Laden one. I, I which that I, story never gets fucking old. It really doesn't. There's so and there's so many. But it must get old for you to tell. Well, I, the the biggest issue with me is I think everyone already knows it, but they don't know there's so many different uh, angles of that mission. There were 23 guys on the ground. There were four total pilots at first. There were two crew chiefs in there. There were two more pilots and about 20 guys on another helicopter. Two more pilots, another crew on a mountaintop, there were rangers on the border. There were the guys controlling the assets above us. There's so many different angles of who was doing what. The woman that found Bin Laden, I, God bless the person who finds her and gets the first interview with her. They never will, but amazing. <laughs> Boys, get on that, please. Yeah, drop, we, yeah, drop that. Please get on that. But, uh, yeah, but so that one, but but uh, even right now with only four episodes into the Operator podcast, I'm getting responses like, wow, th- this happened. It's like, I didn't join the Navy and someone kissed me on the cheek and sent me to Bin Laden's house. There was so much pre-9-11. Like, yeah. I joined the Navy on accident. And I was just going to stay in there for a while. And terrorism and a war was never going to happen because the cold war was over. The Soviets were gone, uh, college money and fun. And then I, I, you know, joined and then, uh, it was four years and I could go home, but now I'm going to stay cause I met these guys. And then because I reenlisted again, then nine 11 happens, but I'd already done three or four deployments overseas and the real world world missions before nine 11, like the first place I got shot at was Albania. First place you got shot at. at because Albania. you weren't going, were you going to the Middle East pre 9 11? No, uh, one time. We did one time. Um, and what was the reasoning for that? Uh, we, I was on a carrier, um, an aircraft carrier, the, the USS Kennedy. Okay. And we went to the Middle East simply because that was part of their rotation as a ship. And we're Navy SEALs on a ship. So the acronym SEAL turns from sea, air, and land to sleep, eat, and lift. Because mm-hmm. on a ship, 
there's no job because Navy guys work their asses off. There's the quartermasters here in the ship. There's a, the boats mates. There's the different rates, the signalmen, uh, the people running the, um, the guys at the beginning of Top Gun that are doing all that cool hand signals and sending the jets. Mm-hmm. Seals don't do shit. So we sleep, we eat, and we lift. Well, what do you mean when you say seals don't do shit? You obviously do shit. You well, do- we do stuff, but there's not a job on the ship for us. So our job there was to ride it through the Suez Canal, which is awesome. There's we got great pictures of us hitting golf balls uh, into Egypt through the Suez off a carrier, which is totally dope. That's pretty sick. My swing sucked then too, which is it's getting better though. At least yeah, I've seen it. I've hopefully. seen it definitely get better. So, but the- then we went over to the Middle East, and yeah. then the thing at the time was finding smugglers. Uh, in different boats that were, I mean, smuggling dates, like nothing. We we happened to catch one Russian tanker that was smuggling oil, Iraqi oil that was that was violating an embargo. So we were able to take take down a Russian tanker, but there were no terrorists. Like, but there was no resistance, right? No, there, was, there was no like, a, a, there's nobody's going to fucking want to blow up in front of me. And No, I mean, not there could, but not, not, no. I mean, looking back, there's no way in hell, but we thought at the time because there was nothing going on and no one had really been in combat since. Vietnam. Mm-hmm. I mean, a desert storm, there were a couple guys that fought and obviously the air force kicks some ass, mm-hmm. but that was it. So we, you know, we took down a tanker and, and, you know, and then we would go to Europe, like part of our jobs in between, um, very few missions was to train with our allies for contingencies in case of a war. So we got to go to cool places. I got to train with Norwegian Jaegers, uh, who were there, special forces, Norway. Mm-hmm. So we got to rock climb and ski and, and, and skydive. Mm-hmm. And they're just awesome. Dude, we got to go to Germany, scuba divers, the German comp swimmers are there. And then mm-hmm. a lot of time with the special boat service, the SBS in, in the UK. Yeah. When were you at your highest point? So you started as probably obviously like anything else, like entry level. And then you yeah. worked your way up to the most badass. Was it you in the most badass uh, crew possible? I was on the best team there is what, SEAL Team 6. Right. Was there um, any higher group that would be sent out for shit? Um, the... Uh, the two that are on par are SEAL Team 6 and Delta Force. Mm-hmm. And those are the two tier one units in the military. And, and Delta is Army. Mm-hmm. And then SEAL Team 6 is Navy. And, and but Del- Delta does a good job because they'll take, uh, and there's Marshawk Raiders now in the Marine Corps. I got to give them props. They weren't there when I was there. Um, but like Delta will take anyone through their selection. But once you get in, as far as I know, I've never been through it. You, you need to be Army. Mm-hmm. Um, but they'll take like Coast Guard or Marines at the time. Uh, Navy SEALs, or SEAL Team 6 needed to be Navy SEALs. But that those were the... Um, Basically, the way they were designed is Delta Force was a, our primary hostage rescue team to take hostages off of airframes or on land. And then SEAL Team 6 did hostage rescue at sea. And that's mm-hmm. until 9-11. And then everything went upside down. And, you know, we're working wherever they send us. And how many people were, were in your group with, of SEAL Team? How many? How many? Uh, well, it depends on which time. When we went on the Bin Laden raid, we had 23 guys on the ground. Yeah, but how many are total that they can pick from? Isn't there like SEAL Team 6 comprised of like 300 guys? Uh, about 200. 200 guys. Yeah. But and at the time, it was a matter of rotation. Which cycle you were on as far as the training, as far as the deployment or being at home, uh, we were just at the right time, right place. And they picked the most experienced guys from that group. Mm-hmm. And how do you get in that group of 200? Uh, well, the first part is to become a Navy SEAL, which at my, when I went through was you need to go through, uh, the first course is called basic underwater demolition seal training. That sounds it's called horrible. That's, that's the really, really hard one that you see in the movies where you, you're running, um, you know, it's a thousand pushups a day, a thousand sit-ups a day, a thousand flutter kicks a day. Um, it, they kick your ass nonstop. You have to run a mile each way to to breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So you run six miles. A day. If you did nothing else, you're running six miles a day to eat. Mm-hmm. And then it's it's um, calisthenics, log PT. It start you know it starts at your first workout is four in the morning, um, pull ups, push ups, all this shit. Then there's uh, two mile ocean swims for time, four mile time runs for time, uh, obstacle courses for time. Everything's for time. And then there's drills that just to, to pick your mental, like they tie your hands behind your back and your feet together, throwing the pool for an hour. And they have you do drills where you 
hold your or exhale all the air out of your lungs to prove you can sink and then come up and inhale and then exhale. Mm-hmm. And then you float for five minutes tied up yeah. and then you swim hundreds of meters and they're, they're getting in your mind. Basically it takes all day long, but what they're teaching you is that stuff that you're worried about is not going to help. So panicking right now is not going to help you. So why panic? Don't waste mm-hmm. your energy. Um, and then there's, you know, there's always tests and you know, you get into uh, scuba diving, open circuit diving, which is the stuff with the bubbles that you see on, you know, whatever nature channels, but then there's closed circuit, which is bubble list, which is more tactical. You learn about diving medicine, dive physics. Well, there's one part of the first part that's um, called Hell Week, where you're awake from Sunday to Friday, nonstop. <laughs> Not sleeping. No. And and uh, it's it's keeping a boat on your head, staying with your crew, and moving. Like, at first, they're kicking your ass. And then, like, the long-term goal of Hell Week, Sunday to Friday, is should be Wednesday morning when the sun comes up. That was my goal anyway. My long-term goal was Wednesday, because if I can see the sun come up, that means I'm going to be so um, out of my mind from lack of sleep that it won't matter. Were you, like, then, were you like hallucinating during yeah, this? the whole time? Well, I had a I had a, a a buddy of mine who was my. They separate for Hell Week. You're in groups called boat crews, which is seven guys, and that's because you're carrying a boat. Three on each side, one in the back, and you should ro- leadership skills. If you rotate out, who's in which spot? And my boat crew leader said his dad was a Navy SEAL, and he said during this week you're going to have ups and downs emotionally, physically. If you're down, tell someone in your boat crew because maybe they're up and they can help you. If you're up, tell someone in your boat crew because maybe they're down. Mm-hmm. And we were the, the, one of the last evolutions of Hell Week, which is not even close to the end of SEAL training, but it's the five and a half days you're awake. You row around um, Coronado Island, past North Island, and go to Imperial Beach and run across. And it's like a long rowing evolution. And as we're rowing up towards North Island, which is a naval air, air station, I, I asked my guys in the back, is that an aircraft carrier in front of us? Mm-hmm. And they said, no. So there's no aircraft carrier? No. So if there's no aircraft carrier, I'm assuming there's no fire-breathing dragon on the flight deck of the carrier. They said, no. I go, good. I'm on a major high right now, so let me know. I'm doing good. Right. Um, so that, you know, Hell Week's that part. And then you get into diving, which yeah. is another nine nine weeks or whatever, right. complete beat down. And then land warfare. They're beating you the whole time. Right. And then as, then, you, as you go- So that's 26 weeks. And then, right. then you go through real training. So you go through skydiving, shooting, yeah. uh, small unit tactics. Then there's uh, another year or so probations and stuff, but maybe- before you get what's called the insignia for Naval Special Warfare, which is your trident, so you become a SEAL. Then you can go overseas for the first time. Right. And that's when you're at a what I call a conventional SEAL team. And the, they're split up SEAL teams one, three, five, and seven. Are they like walk in a room like it's the NFL and be like, you made it, you're in the SEAL team six? Um, no, no, that's not SEAL team six. That's oh. getting to a SEAL team. One, oh. three, five, seven, two, four, eight, and ten. And then you have to be at those SEAL teams for at least five at least five years. Okay. And then you get a chance to apply for SEAL Team 6. And, we, and that's another year of selection course. Wow. So you've been on so many missions here. If you had to rank top three. Well, I would put the Bin Laden raid at number one because it was the Bin Laden raid. And that's just the the highest honor I've ever been asked to do. I, the mission we're going to die on, which we obviously accepted. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, one that I didn't have much to do with that was cool, though, was um, the rescue of Captain Richard Phillips. Because they made a movie about Tom they Hanks. Did. Tom Hanks did a great job in that one. That was, uh, I mentioned that we were designed to rescue Americans at sea. So when Richard Phillips was taken... It was about, so that's April. He was thinking about what, the Somalian pirates? Or, mm-hmm. was, yeah. Somalian pirates. So this is April 2009, and President Obama had been in office for, what, a couple months. Mm-hmm. And Captain Phillips gets taken by Somali pirates. So you got to figure, someone needs to launch. SEAL Team 6 had never been launched to do it so that, since 1980. So we're talking 28 years. It had never been done. Now there's America. What, a rescue on the water? Or? No. Okay. Just like that. Never been done. Okay. 
And we'd been selling it that we can be anywhere in the world in 24 hours. And I, I don't mean just we. Like I got there in 2004. Since 1980, SEAL Team Six was saying they could do it, but they never selling done it to it. Who, the president. To do well, to to yeah, to our chain of command and the president. Okay. So President Obama is a new president, and uh, you know Hillary Clinton has some experience. I think she's the one that kind of pimped. Hey, we got some guys in Virginia Beach that can fly over, and they called us, and we went over and did it. But uh, I actually got called. It was April 10th, a Good Friday, which is my birthday, mm -hmm. and I was at my daughter's Easter tea party at her preschool at Rolling Wood Elementary, mm -hmm. and I was getting her. I'm in line with other sailors and Marines getting, I'm getting my kid Easter treats. Mm -hmm. And I got a message that said, um, your team's going to get them now. Mm -hmm. And so it's literally looking at my daughter in Virginia beach, giving her a kiss on my birthday, turning around and going to war. And, right. and then 15 hours and 46 minutes later, we had uh, over a hundred Navy SEALs in the Indian ocean. And then we rescued Richard Phillips on Easter. And what was your role in that? My role mission? was the lead jumper which means we had two airplanes full of seals and my job is to jump out first, find these guys, lead them into the four boats that had already been dropped. And we got to get on the boats and then go rescue. Mm. But the whole flight over, cause we thought of everything we thought um, anything from a nuclear weapon on a cruise liner, hostage situation on a yacht, but on the flight over, we're like, okay, this guy's being towed in an orange life raft by a U.S. Navy destroyer. <laughs> What the fuck? So, and we're literally, like, and how do you solve this problem? And we're known as problem solvers. So our idea was, well, everyone here come up with something. And we have 15 hours to think of it. So we wrote down the best ideas. We dropped it down to five and then, then we jumped. And so my job at, when we jumped was to, they already had a couple ships there. One was the USS Boxer, which is a flat top, not quite aircraft carrier, but it's an amphib ship, but it has helicopters and, and like Harriers and stuff on it. One was the, uh, the Bainbridge, which was towing, um, the lifeboat and then another ship. And I forget the name and I apologize for that. But um, we dropped four of our speedboats out. I jumped out after them and I led our guys into them. And then we're going to go to a ship and, and uh, we're going to execute the mission. But our, our, we did not, we were, we didn't go there to kill those guys because these guys were, they were not terrorists. They're, they're pirates, they're criminals. Mm -hmm. And because before this, they were taking these ships over that were unarmed, they weren't hurting anybody. And then the insurance company was paying the ransom. That's okay. it. So they're going to keep doing it. We jumped right. in there because so you think they had every intention of freeing him after they well, got, they were going to get the ransom. That was the plan. That's right. their jobs. But then, and then they weren't releasing them. And so they're at a point where these pirates now are kind of stuck and they're over, overreacting my plan. So we, we jumped, we went in there and we, we put those snipers on the fantail, the back of the Bainbridge to watch them, just watch them, make sure nothing unsafe happens as we prepare the plan that we came up with my team. Um, Cause each one of these squadrons is divided into troops and then teams. My team was a small unit. Our plan was we're trying to put ourselves in the shoes of these criminals. Look, they're not terrorists. They're not here for jihad. They're out of cots, which is their drug. Um, they're seasick and they realize they fucked up. They are at the point where they just want to go home now. Mm -hmm. So let's do that. What we'll do is we'll give them radios. We'll give their village elders on, on the Somali coast radios mm -hmm. and then um, let them talk to each other and tell them we're going to drop them off. So just told them around. Put my team on the beach, as soon as they get close, you know, as the sun's going down, um, jam their communications, it's dark, drive them up, and then they're going to get out with the captain, and I have my team there, we're armed, and we can handle it like this. Hey, guys, beat it, go home, we're taking him. Easy. That's it. Or, and that's yeah. how it would have happened? Well, that's my plan. Right. And that's they, they usually, they usually but, but they usually tell those things. They're always like, hey, if you just give them away back to us, you well, can yeah, go Well, yeah, but it wasn't quite there. If they were on land, I was convinced. Well, it's going to go one of two ways. They're going to give them up, or they're going to get in a gunfight with guys that can see in the dark. We're going to kill them. Mm -hmm. fucking easy so we put sni the snipers are watching them and we're i was actually uh here, here's my claim to fame i was in the chief's mess 
which is uh, the chief's hangout where you eat and drink coffee and bullshit with other fat Navy chiefs. And I had just made Navy chief and chiefs are like the senior enlisted. They run the Navy. Mm -hmm. And I was so excited to finally be in the chief's mess. Mm -hmm. And I'm in there drinking coffee. Got the best plan. We're going to rescue. We're going to be heroes tomorrow. And we get a text from the snipers that says we got him. And I responded (laughs) with got who? They're like, dude, we got him. Oh shit. Really? And you kind of run out like, Hey, what, what medal are we going to get for this? Cause they took up, they shot him, right? They the shot. snipers did the great job. And uh, I did, I did nothing. I let the jump in a daytime jump. That's was the water, it was the water. Was easy. It was daytime. Easy. Okay. Simple jump. But um, what's cool about this, the cool guy factor is the fact that I mentioned we'd never done this in 28 years. It was Friday, Easter, a long weekend. So those snipers, we're in their own beds in Virginia beach. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine that mentality? We talked about complacency kills. Can you imagine that mentality of, you know, it's a long weekend. We've never done this. Mm-hmm. I can skip work today and drink beer until Tuesday. Then I'll sight my guns. In. Their guns do not need to be sighted in for the most difficult shots they'll ever take in their fucking lives. But their guns were sighted in for the most difficult shots they'll ever take in their life because they were prepared. Mm-hmm. And when, it, when it came down to the shots, it wasn't a, all right, everybody online three, two, no, it was, they saw boom, boom, boom. Right. Just, so once, they just once somebody heard something. They, they were, were watching. Yeah. They're all watching and they're not talking. They're communicating without talking. And uh, one of the pirates put a, put a gun to Captain Phillips' head. And, and that's, that, when, that's, that's when they, they, he shot. Is that they, when they have permission to go they or were, they have permission they were, to go They were anytime. cleared hot the whole time. So that's the latitude of the rules of engagement they had. But once, this is a threat now to, to someone we're protecting. Mm-hmm. And they just shot. And that was it. And then who went on the boat and got Phillips? Uh, well, one of the snipers went on there. This is a good story that I cannot confirm because he told me I didn't see it. Right. But it's an excellent story, and I'm going to give him credit for it. Mm-hmm. And I think he might have bullshitted me a little bit to make a better story. Mm-hmm. But he said, uh, so the, there was a rope attaching the back of the USS Bainbridge to the um, lifeboat. Now, there's an obstacle to backtrack at, uh, at, at Bud's training in San Diego. It's called the Slide for Life, where you have to figure out a way to climb this four-story structure, and there's a rope that goes from this to that. Mm-hmm. And you get on top of this rope, and you scared shitless try to climb over the top of this rope. Mm-hmm. And we're looking at this back in the day, like, when are we ever going to use that? But every Navy SEAL has gone over that a bunch of times, knows how to do it. We had that there because one time, one guy would have to do that, and that was the sniper. So he got on that rope, and he climbed down that fucking thing, and he gets on there, and he dished his sniper rifle, and he pulled his pistol. And this is his story now. And he said he's going to roll in there and he knows this is the only time he's going to say something cool <laughs> to rescue someone. So he's like, he's, the whole thing is, okay, what do I say? What do I say? Right. He said he rolls in that small little little door on the, on the boat. He said he walked in there and there, now they've been using this lifeboat as a toilet for days. Oh my God. And it's been baking in the hot ass African sun in oh. April. And now there's three pirates laying in it with their heads split open. He said he walked into it, looked at Richard Phillips and he said, I'm going to need therapy after this. <laughs> Fuck. That's what I say. Yeah. That's great. Therapy. Get out. Yeah. I almost need to hear it too. I have to hear, I, is there, we can, cause we, I, you have talked to me about it so many times, but mm-hmm. can you do your best to give me the one minute version of exactly how the Bin Laden mission happened in one minute? Do you mind? It's just the coolest story in the world. So I know it's. Yeah. One, one minute to flight in and it was thinking about uh, dying the whole way and we can get shot down, but I'm not going to worry about it because me worrying about it's not going to stop a missile. I'm just looking at cool guys. Right. Watching how cool guys handle this stress, flying into the mission. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, we, we have the perfect plan. Uh, the first helo is going to hover in front. They're uh, fast rope dudes out. We're going to let my guys out on the northeast corner. Put uh, some, twenty-three some, guys go on. Uh, we have two helicopters. Two helicopters, twelve and twelve in the dog. No, uh, twelve, thirteen in the dog. Twelve and thirteen in the dog. So Cairo, that, twelve, 13, yeah, with twenty-four guys. I guess something. Sorry, Cairo, Cairo, made it Cairo, out, Cairo, right? Cairo, Cairo, Cairo's on my bird. Okay, I'm sitting next to Cairo. Cheese's handlers right here, and uh, we're going to put snipers and a dog 
out. And then my team's going to the rooftop because we're going to jump on the roof. They're going to come in the bottom and we're going to get them that way. We're going to figure out a way to his balcony. Mm-hmm. And there's, we thought there were windows there, but Bin Laden was so clever. He, there wasn't, we couldn't tell if there were windows. We're assuming there are, we're going to shoot it out there. You had way. no clue what floor he was on, right? We thought, no, he's on the third floor. So why did you think he was on the third floor? Because it was- Because con- the woman that found him told us. And did she knew his patterns of being up she there She knew everything times? about him. She, and no one believed her. And they, they did, believed her enough to send us. Oh, no, she would say, we'd get done training. She was with us the whole time up until we launched. And mm-hmm. she, she, had a, she had a model of his house to scale. And she, after we're done talking about it, I'm talking 15 hour days of training. She would say, all right, guys, Osama bin Laden is on the third floor of this building right now. I don't know why you're not going. Have a great night. And she'd go to sleep next day. Same fucking thing. All right, guys, Osama bin Laden's on the third. She, she said a hundred percent. And is she talking to the president or she's talking, she's to, talking to everyone that'll listen. Mm-hmm. And, and she knew it. She was not even surprised. And so we came up with the perfect plan, but this helicopter couldn't hover. And so the pilot crash landed in the front yard. Because he, he said that there was an updraft and it was a little bit warmer than it should have been. And a, an, uh, we had the four best pilots in the world. He said a, a less experienced pilot would have powered it up and rolled it into the house. And all of a sudden you got dead dudes. All of us. And then we got to figure it out. Because we're not leaving. We're just fucking we're going with 12 now or whatever. 12 and 11. We had 23 guys. Um, Did you so have a plan for if a helicopter went We down? thought we had a plan for everything. We, we talked to, so we trained for two weeks on the Bin Laden raid for every conceivable and they built the actual property? They had everything built, yeah. So they built and, the house. How long did the building process of that I house? have no idea. It was there when we got there. They've been working on this for a while, but didn't tell anyone. They're really good. I always give CIA shit. Like, uh, the problem with the CIA is they watch too many movies about the CIA. Mm-hmm. These were actual kick-ass fucking spies. Like, they had this shit down, especially her. But there was a team of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but we came up with everything. And uh, one night, one of the bosses said, all right, we talked to, what's the worst thing that could happen? And Cheese, the handler, the, the guy that's handling Cairo said, uh, helicopter could crash in the front yard. We're like, what the fuck? Why would you say that? He goes, well, shouldn't we talk about that for 30 seconds? And we talked about it for 30 seconds. And that's exactly what happened. Right. So we kind of, but when, so that went down, but the, the pilot, he didn't crash it. He, he pinned the tail against the wall and, and the, and the nose of the, the dirt. So, so you think if somebody else was flying that helicopter. We're de- they were dead and we're fucked. Right. But then our pilot saw him. Cause he was going to bring us up to hover, mm-hmm. but then he saw it and he goes, well, okay. And he just sat back down and we knew from him doing that. Something's wrong. We're getting out here. Mm-hmm. So we got out there. We knew there was a, a place to blow the doors on this side. So we just brought bombs up. And um, I love this story. Cause we, we knew there's a off to my left, which is the Northeast corner. Uh, there's a double door. So I called a breacher and I always tell people the breacher, he's the methods of entry. He's going to get you in. Like if there's a, he's going to pick the lock. He's going to shatter the window. He's going to blow the door. So I called him up and he, he broke, he broke out a seven foot charge of C6 which I love to explain to people because I don't like to get all technical. Yeah. And the way I explain it is I'm assuming you've heard of C4. Mm-hmm. C6, I play is, video games, C6 that's about though, it. is two more awesomer. Okay. That's, that's, that's Bigger it. explosion. Just, it's awesomer. Okay. It's just a little bit thicker. Okay. And so he rolled it down, blasted it, and opened it like a tin can as a brick wall. So it's not a door. And the, the, he looked at me and goes, failed breach. This is bad. And I said, no, this is good. It's a fake door. Nobody does that. He's fucking in there. And I didn't know they crashed. I call, I knew there was the door that definitely opened the double doors in front of the house, which the cars come in and out of. Mm-hmm. And I, I, what they were saying was uh, dash. So we kept it simple, dash one, dash two. They said what they were saying to me when they first crashed was uh, dash one going around, dash one going around, meaning I thought they took fire and they're going to do a racetrack going around. What they were saying was dash one going down. Mm-hmm. But so I said, all right, uh, this is so-and-so. I'm going to blast the carport. They said, no, no, don't blast it. We'll open it. The door opened. And a thumb came out with a glove that I recognized. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know why they were there, but there comes a point in life where it doesn't matter why you're here. You're just here. Mm-hmm. 
And like speaking of sports, when I talk to football teams, I tell them, guys, it doesn't matter why it's second and 15. It just is. Stop mm-hmm. yelling at each other. We, the time is fucking ticking. We'll talk about it in films. Or in this case, if we live, we'll talk about why you're here. So mm-hmm. the guys are shooting it out. We went in. Uh, are there kids and women in there? Yeah, there always is. Right. And, uh, is and that, that's. Is it, that kind of like a, is it just because there's kids and women there because it's family or is it family. because. Yeah. Okay. That's part of the, the humanity. It's not like a video game where you're rolling. It's all terrorists. These are families. And a lot of, most people you run into are innocent. And even with the kids, I saw Bin Laden's son after I shot him, this two-year-old. And I, I, my first thought as a father was, this kid's got nothing to do with this. What, a, what the fuck? Is was this the two-year-old kid just staring at his father dead? Yeah. Was he crying? Uh, he didn't know what the fight. He was two. He was like, he, he's not going to remember it. Thank God. Right. Um, but no, the kids downstairs do. But And even they pick the experienced guys for that reason, too. That When we're in there, I was watching dudes under fire grab kids that had been separated from their parents or their family to move them, to make them not be at make them less afraid than they needed to be. And just the thought of this is what the good guys do. Mm-hmm. Watching Mike being proud of him. Well, and that's fat. And that's such a fast moment with so much stuff going on. How do you know who to shoot and who not to? You can sort of tell. Um, it's a split second decision. Oh, it's faster than that. And, and the issue with like a suicide bomber, and anyone can be a suicide bomber with the thing with the suicide bombers that takes less than a second. Like I've had guys that have lived through suicide bombers because they put the vest on backwards. And because the way a suicide vest works is it's explosives and then like everything from BBs to screws to nails. So it explodes and they come out like projectiles. Shrapnel all He's put it on backwards. And all they, some of them, they would put leads, like it goes to the explosive and the leads like positive and negative on their wrists. So they can give you this number and just go, bink, and really? we all blow up. Right. And so it's fast. Yeah, I mean, you have to sort of tell, you have to use your own judgment and just, uh, I've never killed anyone I didn't mean, but I know guys that have and you got to live with that. So right. it's, a, it's a big decision you're making right now in the blink of an eye. And how many people were killed in that house? Um, four. Four. Yeah, we killed two on the floor. We killed Khalid Bin Laden on the stairs, and I killed Bin Laden on the, on the roof. And is that the same thing as the movies that they whisper something? In? Uh, they did sort of. I didn't whisper. I didn't whisper anything to Bin Laden. I just was kind of just ran into him. <laughs> uh, on the on the, on the st- I, I get asked about it now. It's like I should have said, "Where you been, Laden?" Mm, that would be good that's not my joke that's that jim, jim jeffries got it though that's jim jeffries joke right he, okay pretty good cool. got gotta it. give credit <laughs> uh no the first guy whispered khalid come here khalid come here in two different languages on the stairwell right in two different something along the lines of he would think it was uh or if i deck delta rush or something like that two okay. different I, I don't know if that's i someone's gonna fuck me for that but it's something like that okay. and he just confused him and you know it's it's a it's a fight but you how clever can you be type shit right and so just being there in the ground realizing that uh a lot of people didn't know the first helicopter crashed. When I was in a room and was told, I, w- I was like, wait, you guys crashed? He's like, yeah, you walked right past it. Mm-hmm. And as we're doing the, the sniper that had the dog running around it, saw the tail on the fence and came over the radio and said, uh, guys inside, be on alert. They're ready for us. They have a training mock-up of our super secret helicopter in the front yard. Oh, right. And then over the radio, the, the boss goes, no, jackass, that's ours. We crashed. Right. And the sniper said, yeah, that makes a lot more sense than the shit I was just saying. Right. And that's so, all that was so said. So when you got up the stairs and did you have to open the door to see him? No, up the set of this, there was one guy in front of me going up the stairs. And instead of a door at the top, this is to the third floor, there was a, um, a curtain. It looked like a shower curtain, but more of a, like a, a thick green blanket. Mm-hmm. And he could see movement underneath it. And so he knew we needed to get, like, it was down to two guys. Everyone... When we went up the stairs, there was like nine guys. And then we got to the second floor guys split off to clear. And then there was two of us left and we were just out of guys. Right. And so he went up first and I was behind him and he moved it to, he uh, moved that curtain and then jumped on what he thought were suicide bombers um, to that. And that's a medal of honor move. As far as I'm concerned, he still doesn't have one. He should get one. Even if he, he's staying quiet, but 
quietly he should get a medal of honor. Right. But he jumped on people because and and tactics. It all comes down to the basics. Um, if you can master the basics in life, you're going to be good. And the basics for taking down a house is if the guy in front of me goes left, I go right. If the guy in front of me goes right, I go left. He went left, I went right. There's been a lot. Right. Just because I followed him because I was going to blow up and I was tired of thinking about it. Right. Is any of that stuff flat, 9-11, all that stuff, anything that flashed yeah, in your head it, when it, you it just... Really, well, it, it was more on the way in thinking about 9-11. Uh, I did have the guy... It, it wasn't ever planned out this way, but the guy that I ended up going up the stairs with, he did say, because we, you know, we're going to get shot down on the way in. There's going to be a gunfight as soon as we land. If anyone's going to blow himself up and have suicide bombers, it's been Laden, we're going to run out of fuel when we're there. Because people don't think when you go on a mission that long in Iraq or Afghanistan, there's bases to stop and get fuel. There isn't shit in Pakistan. We're going to run out and end up either shooting it out with the Pakistani police and military or dying in, because we surrendered to a, in a Pakistani prison, which is not going to be a fun way to you know, get fucked to death. Do you think they ever thought about informing Pakistan they were going in? We, it was mentioned to us. I know the diplomats, I guarantee the State Department were talking about it. When it was mentioned to us, we're like, just fucking tell bin Laden himself because you tell the Pakistanis, he's gone. You'll never see him. So you again. think the Pakistanis are harboring him? In uh, no doubt about it. Uh, not necessarily the guys that would have gone on the raid, but their intelligence, the ISI, 100%. Right. They, so they, you, they put him there. They had reason to put him there. Right. So you think if you if Pakistan had known, you guys no gave him the heads up, he's gone. He's out not, of that building. Never going to see him again. Right. Where do you think he was hiding prior? He you went think? there. He was there for like five years. Really? He was yeah. at that same location? We were doing counterintelligence with him because we kept saying uh, the dialysis machine, the kidney problems, and the uh, living on the border. That mm -hmm. was to fuck with them mm -hmm. because they would think that we thought this, but we actually knew that. Right. But the dialysis was more of a, we would know, because the dudes over there, the criminals that are turning other terrorists in or getting money out of it. Mm -hmm. That reward shit works. And mm -hmm. so when, when sources would say, yeah, I saw Bin Laden, it was definitely him because I saw the dialysis. The person he's telling would say, well, that's not him. We wouldn't tell him. He's like, well, he doesn't have a dialysis. We made that up. Right. How do you feel about people that, you know, it's got to bug the shit out of you because you were there and you did it. How do you feel about people that are like, he didn't kill him? I'm at the point now where I can't convince them. Right. Because two of us were there and one of us is dead. Bin Laden's dead. I'm not. And I'm, I'm the only guy that saw it happen. Mm -hmm. So it's, I mean, well, it's actually fun to mess with them. Not mess with them, but they're like, I heard you killed the body double. It's like, well, fuck, at this point, maybe. Maybe yeah. we didn't all land on the, the moon. All the conspiracy theorists. Maybe. I mean, I mean, it's, I, I take solace with the fact that it was definitely a mall bin Laden. Mm -hmm. So I either killed bin Laden or someone that was fucking bin Laden's <laughs> wife. So either way, that fucker had it coming. Right. So, um, no, but I mean, it happened and he's dead. And, and we have the pictures. Yeah. Uh, the pictures, if, if they ever show the pictures from the bedroom, those are my gloves holding his head together. But they also have a bunch of pictures of when we brought him to Bagram Airfield of professional photographers and dudes doing DNA. We have them. But I mean, we can't prove it. Buzz, Buzz Aldrin couldn't prove we landed on the moon. We have right. video, but mm, people so are how do you how, what? What is the other thing? Was they dumped his body in the water or something in the river? Yeah. Or something? and that's another one too because I wasn't there for that. Right. I, I was there when we handed him off. We handed his body off to our some of our army counterparts who took him to. I forget which ship, not the Vincennes, might have been the Vincennes. It was a ship mm -hmm. where they have the the pad eye marked and the lat long and the um the Muslim um um not cleric, but the um military cleric, whatever mm -hmm. you call him. I I'm drawn a blank, but where mm -hmm. they threw him in. But I, I mean I wasn't there, so maybe they put him in beta and have him in Langley. I don't know. Right. Because it doesn't, it didn't make sense to really probably just dump him. No, it doesn't make sense. And if you think about it, if you did your homework, they were saying they didn't want to bury him because there'd be a shrine to Bin Laden. But that's not the case because if you know anything about, especially the the Salafist uh, Sunni Islam, they don't. That's why they get pissed when you draw, uh, you depict, you draw Muhammad because there is only there's one God. And it's Allah. You do not 
worship false idols and depicting Muhammad be a false idol. That's why they get pissed. Mm-hmm. So they wouldn't worship Bin Laden's shrine because they don't do that shit. Mm-hmm. They worship God. And then, so how long after all this happened, did you get recognition? And how did you get recognition? Well, I didn't get recognition. I didn't want recognition. Right. Uh, when we went to, um, well, the, the thing was, everybody knew right away. Because even the guys on the second and first floor, their first question was, oh, who got him? Who shot him? They just want to know. Mm-hmm. And then the helicopter that came in, even the one I got on, I had a guy that I knew asked me who got him. And I was like, I, I, I did. But uh, when they were asked, so my nickname at the time, and still guys that know me from there, they call me Nisro. Mm-hmm. And it's NSRO, Navy SEAL, Rob O'Neill. Hey, Nisro. Mm-hmm. And I guess the common uh, back and forth was, well, who got him? They said, Nisro. And they go, shit, we're never going to hear the end of this. Mm-hmm. Did you come out publicly though and say you killed him? No, uh, my, I did eventually. Yeah. But no, my name was, my name was leaked okay. because it, uh, it was known when we flew from Bagram Airfield to Virginia Beach. By the time we landed, there were SEALs waiting for us in a couple buses with pizzas and booze and beer. Mm-hmm. And they had already talked to their friends and they all asked the same question. Who got him? Well, don't tell anybody, but. Right. And then they go out and the bartender, hey, you know me, who got him? Well, and but. And mm-hmm. then, so this went from Virginia Beach, Coronado, uh, D.C. and New York. And they, people just asked, they kind of knew. Mm-hmm. And then it, it did get out. And um, I didn't. I didn't say anything till I did eventually get out. Mm-hmm. But it was out. Are you are you recognized every second? Like a every celebrity that's out there, are you recognize at the bar every second. Are people coming up to you buying you drinks? And not every second, but that that's one of my issues. When I do get recognized, they want to buy me a drink. That's no, the worst. That's yeah. my. I mean, not as much as you. No, here, no, but, but I'm it, saying it's yeah. the fucking worst. Sometimes I just don't want to have a drink. I mean, not I, I drink. I drink well, them anyway. What, what I've learned traveling as much as I do though is like if I see someone in a in a hotel bar and they recognize me, someone will see me take a shot with them and then they want a shot with me, and then all of a sudden ten. Guys guys had a shot with me, but I had 10 shots and that's how you get kicked off an airline. Mm-hmm. I, I got to ask you a question too. Afghanistan, right? Yeah. You know how, cause it seems like it kind of went away. The story of like, Did, yeah. Right. So it'll no, come up once a year. now. Nobody talks about what's going on in Afghanistan anymore after everything that happened. What is the current state of Afghanistan? Well, it's being run. Opinion? It's basically being run other than a couple guys is being run by the same people that were there on September 10th, 2001. It's the same crew. It's the Haqqani network. The Muhammad Atta's the. Well, like uh, the Haqqani family, who is a crime family that are Taliban. They run it. So they've, they own, they own Kabul. They own the, you know, we built it up a little bit. Built up in, in, in Afghanistan is a little different than built up in Manhattan. Like it's not quite the same thing, but they own the whole place. We left them a shit ton of guns and, and airplanes and helicopters and shit. And they mm-hmm. have all that. And now we also left them a lot of the analytics and, and uh, some of the stuff that says who worked with us. Uh, they know the women who be, I mean, you got to figure how long we were there. The women who became high school, college uh, lawyers and judges who were working with the police and the cops, they know who they are. Um, they know who was work, what, who were our translators who were, you know, we were teaching to fly. So I mean, now though, they, they know our tactics. They studied us for a long time. They know China's in there working for their natural resources and they've seen what we can do. They know, they know that one of the things that they were saying, and a lot of vets will tell you that fought in Afghanistan, that Afghanistan, that uh, that Al Qaeda and the Taliban were saying the Americans have the clocks, but we have the time. So they watch this work, and they know that they know how long it will take if we come back, which we probably never will. Right. And and they also know too, like they harbored Al Qaeda like they did. If they had known, and I've had Al Qaeda and Taliban tell me this face to face, if they had known we were serious about coming into Gip and Lund, they would have just given it to us. Mm-hmm. They want their valleys. So they would, um, if, if they're, I don't think they're going to, I don't want to say that, but not to the extent that they did before. Cause Al Qaeda is everywhere. They mm-hmm. can train in Yemen. They can train anywhere. Um, but they own it. They know what to do. They know how to handle it. And it's brutal. And, and, and when they say that women and girls aren't allowed to go to school, it's, it's not like they're not allowed to go to school. They're not allowed to leave that corner of that shithole house they live in. And they sit there for their lives until they get sold to somebody else and then they can have all their kids and then they die. It's a horrible life. They, um, um, 
It's just they're they're brutal. They're, they're just brutal. They're 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 the worst. They're the worst uh, dictators imaginable. And so, is there what would make us ever go back there? You think? Uh, to Afghanistan, I mean, if we were smart, it would be natural resources, which we never took advantage of in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, it, it's been around forever, that, for 50,000 years, people have been trading silk and stuff throughout Afghanistan. Right. So, I mean, you have to be committed, but um, we didn't go in there very smart. We're not really good at knowing our history. We, we doom, we're doomed to repeat our history. I mean, even looking at right now in life, like everything that people are so fanatical, fanatic about now has failed miserably in the past. They just mm-hmm. don't realize because they don't study their past. But you, you're not going to go in there and instill a Jeffersonian democracy to people who don't want it. You're not going to give these kinds of schools to people who don't want it. We, we lost so many people trying to build roads from the Korangal Valley to the, the Konar River, and they don't want them. Right. Like we would have built a road that they don't want, and they're going to kill us. Because are, there still, are there still Americans over there? Oh, yeah. You know? yeah, there's thousands. Really? And they're not necessarily guys that were born you know, in Ohio. But they're they're uh, people that were working for us, yeah. And are we still doing anything to try and get them uh, out? You know what's what sucks is we've got Americans who are civilians now that used to be special forces still doing it, mm-hmm. and they're trying to, but it's really difficult. I mean, they're the, doing the, it on their own. Yeah, right. So they're just doing yeah. their own. I don't think, as far as I know, at least the people I talk to aren't the government's not really trying anymore because it's one of those if you don't see it, it ain't there type things. Mm-hmm. Like the Pineapple Express was a big one. The guys that were going in and out the. Uh, the complete badasses that would go in there and figure out how to get people in and out. But like your best bet is a run. What was the Pineapple Express? I heard a little bit. That was about a it. bunch of uh, former special operators that that uh, did everything from arrange the uh, logistics to get there, to get on the airfield, to find um, super secret entrances to um, volunteer work. Yeah. And, you know, uh, cell phone calls, signal calls to people, you know, there, you know, round these people up, get a bus, come to this entrance. And I got guys waiting and try to get you on the airfield, try to get you on a manifest. And it got to the point I wasn't there. I got to a point where they're actually talking with Taliban to get into their checkpoint, to get them through an American checkpoint, to hopefully get them on a base. You know, people that we've known for years that if we don't get them out tonight, they're going to die right. horribly. And it's not like you're going to just die. It's going to be a really bad death. You've had a crazy life. It's fucking insane. I didn't do that stuff. I was over here for that. Right. No, but still just everything. So the other mission too. So this is actually three movies that have been made about things that yeah. you've done, right? Yeah. So you had the Bin Laden, which was Zero Dark Dirty, you had mm-hmm. Captain Phillips, and then you had the Lone Survivor. Lone Survivor, yeah. What was the Lone Survivor mission? That's the one where I was living in uh, Jalalabad, Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And that's where I also learned from watching. I, I learned how to do stuff by watching my bosses and simply the mindset of, I want to be cool like him. Because look how cool he is doing stuff and everything from interacting with the locals to how he carries his gear, how he carries himself in combat. And uh, we bought not I, it was bought before I got there, but our guys bought a small hotel motel in uh, Jalalabad. And then they came in with a bunch of cash and started hiring neighbors. So I'm hiring the security could have been former Mujahideen, former Taliban. You're not here's a bunch of money. You're protecting me. Hire the plumbers, hire the electricians, hire the cooks uh, and then, you know, buy the cars shop in the markets, buy the shawarmas or whatever they call them over there, eat the food and then, um, and then run pay people to find out guys that are here. Mm -hmm. And we, you know, everything, we were still taking advantage of the shitty airfield the Russians used when they fought there and we're a 10 minute motorbike ride from there. So we were living there and you're just trying to create your own, create your own target set. Like Mm -hmm. tell the guys to go to the local uh, a smoke shop and find out who the guy from Saudi Arabia is. What's he doing? Where does he live? Then you hit the house. You find the Saudi Arabian, you, you, you um, interrogate him and you, why are you here? Who you're meeting and when? Then you start hitting, you, you do what's called a, like a web of, we found this guy and here's all, whatever. Sure. You're doing that. And uh, we found a couple of dudes. Um, it was seal team 10 and seal delivery vehicle team one that, f- that they found Ahmad Shah, who was a big time Taliban guy in one of the valleys in Konar province. And they inserted or snipers, Marcus Luttrell being one of them, and then uh, Danny D's, Matt Axelson, and Mike Murphy. And they're 
they were going to go in, get eyes on this guy. And then, a, then an assault team was coming in on one of those big helicopters. They're going to take it down, grab a mod shot. And that's their mission. But when they're in there, they got compromised by locals. And, and that's that mean, another th- uh, what is compromised by locals. It means they found you. Okay. <clears throat> like if you're hiding and I learned this in Kosovo before nine 11, if, if you're in someone's backyard, they're going to find you. And then how quickly does word get around? Depends on what, it depends on how it gets handled. Like if they see you, but you don't know they saw you, it's going to be shitty for you. If you, they see you and you find them, which is the case of uh, Marcus's team, they had their big thing was, what do we do with these guys? Because if you let them go, they're, go- they're running down the hill and finding the Taliban. They're coming back up. So you're talking a matter of 20 minutes. They'll be back. Mm-hmm. So they, they, they did get compromised. They let, some, they let like three villagers go and they went up to the top of the hill. By the, they, couldn't get, they couldn't make communications because the mountains are, you're in the Western Himalayas, the Hindu Kush. It's some really shitty mountains. You could, they couldn't get communication. So they were going to let them go with the intent of getting to the top, making comms. Helicopter gets them, they're out, but they just couldn't get communications before the Taliban intercepted them. <clears throat> now, we knew this was happening. We didn't know they got, we knew they got inserted. We didn't know they got attacked because we're back at my safe house. And, and speaking of, um, like we, we hired a local to build us a small cold pool that looked like a jacuzzi. Mm-hmm. So we're sitting in it. We're having a few Heinekens because you can find beer over there. Right. And uh, the sun's coming up and a guy came out and said, hey, um, your boy just got fucked up. We got to go. And what had happened, I mean, you know, just chilling. Uh, one of the helicopters left Turbine 3-3 and I think Turbine 3-4 on the way in went to um, try to rescue the four guys that are in a fight. One of them got shot down and they lost, I think, 16 guys. How badly were they outnumbered? I have no idea. Um, I, I would say 100. 100 to one? Four. 100 to four. Mm-hmm. So they killed Danny. They killed um, uh, Matt Axelson. And then Mike Murphy was awarded the Medal of Honor. He was, they were, they were to the point, and again, not there yet, where they're jumping down, cl- jumping off of cliffs to try to get away from this force that's overtaking them. And they were pinned down and they couldn't make communications for the, the quick, quick reaction force, the QRF. So Murphy gave his magazines to Marcus and because he had an Iridium cell phone. And he knew he could run out to that point right here and get a call in, but he's going to die. But he made that call. And uh, that's how the helicopters found out they were in trouble. And I guess Murphy was so badass, his last words uh, were, Roger that, thank you. And then he died. And then the helo came in and they got shot down. The helicopter got shot down. One of the two got shot down. (laughs) We hadn't inserted yet. So they lost all the guys in that helicopter. That's when they came to us um, and said, um, that's when they said- Did you know there was one remaining? We had no idea what was happening. Okay. So we knew that- if anyone was left, they were going to go to that airfield I was talking about. So we, you know, we obviously, we, I mean, we'd been sleeping for a couple hours, but um, we got our shit on, took the motorbikes out to um, Jalalabad airfield. And that's when they said uh, one helicopter, they were so distraught that one helicopter landed somewhere off that airfield. And um, the guys that were, that lived ran across to the, to the airfield. I remember seeing friends of mine come in and they're saying, yeah, one helicopter is definitely down. And I remember saying to guys, it's a horrible day, but it's, still a decent place because you're still alive or whatever. And, and one of my guys looked at me and said, yeah, they just, these plumes came out of the valley and turned. Meaning, because the official report is it's an RPG, a shoulder-fired rocket-propelled grenade. But it was actually, I think, surface-to-air missiles that will shoot down a helicopter without a doubt. The two of them shot up and one missed, which that's your lucky day. Mm-hmm. And so we lost one helicopter. And then they, then they told us to go up to the crash site. And, mm-hmm. and, um, but we're not going to fly you. So you got to figure out how to get from here up to there. So we, we, had, um, we, we had to get a coalition of everyone we could find, which were Army Rangers, Green Berets, we, other SEALs, um, Air Force dudes, Marines, and commandeer vehicles and drive as far as we could then walk. Right. And there was just a massive gunfight? 
Not the whole way. No. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> we, by the time we were up there, the crash site um, was still there, but you know, we didn't know if anyone survived, but they, they had assets over overhead that could look down. No one was moving, but there was no one coming in on them. Mm -hmm. uh, so we just went up, we went up looking for, we knew, we thought that Latrell, we knew Latrell was alive somewhere. We thought Axelson might be alive. So we're going to try to find Marcus and maybe get to the crash site. And so we hiked for the first, um, the first 10 hours, I think, before taking a break. Mm -hmm. And we had to stop to start giving guys IVs because they were so dehydrated. Cause it's, it's June. It was June, um, June 05, 28th. So I have pictures of it, um, mm -hmm. hanging, hanging, uh, IVs in trees to try to get guys hydrated. And then they eventually flew in helicopters that got to the crash site. We, we got in a fight eventually when we were coming back down, calling in uh, different air force airframes to hit Taliban guys. So just light about them. The, the, when we'd see him. Yeah. Okay. And that's like, the, that's where that, uh, there, there's a, there's a, an airplane called an A-10. It's basically a huge Gatling gun that the army brought to the air force and asked them to make it fly. Mm -hmm. And it shoots like three to 4,000 rounds a minute. And it looks like, um, it, it, it sounds like a dragon. It shoots so many bullets at a time. It's like, what? Yeah. And when it was shooting over us, when we called it in, it's daytime. And you, the way it, it was so close and it was so fast that you would see this smoke come out of this gun. And then, so you see the smoke, you hear it go supersonic, you hear it hit, then you hear it shoot. So it's like, really? and this Marine came up and he coined the phrase. He said, you know, it's true. What, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, except an A-10. An A-10 <laughs> will fucking kill you. <laughs> right. And so that was it. And then we, we went back down. We knew we had guys at the crash. We'd been awake for a few days and we went over to Asadabad, Afghanistan, where we had guys at a safe house. And that's when the dude, um, so Marcus had been semi-captured by some locals or they took him in and now there's a, it's in the movie Lone Survivor where now the Taliban knows where he is. And this dude came out with a, with a, a notepad of, with Marcus's name and his social on it. Mm -hmm. And so we're so showing that. And so this guy came in, he's a source for the agency. And we said, Hey, they found him. We're going to take this guy back there and get him. And they were concerned about uh, it's a, it's a trick. It's not Marcus because he didn't cross the T's in his name. Mm -hmm. And we're like, yeah, but he managed to get his entire social, right? That's him. We're going. And so then we had to drive back up came up with a plan how to try to walk this guy in there. And, and this is talking about being in the, in the valleys in Afghanistan. These people don't know what time is. They, they, they don't know how old they are. Um, and I'm not making that up. Mm. Like they, they well, really they have no sense. concept. It's, it's like living. It, it could be the 14th century. They don't know. Cause they, that's where they live. And there's nothing. They believe in dragons. I'll tell you that story in a minute. They believe in that. <laughs> I'll tell you that's a funny story. But uh, so you can imagine. We'll get here, back to the dragons in a minute. Yeah. Here. yeah. Here's a guy that is happy he knows how to make a fire. That's it in life. That's technology. Imagine showing him an iPad with his village on it. Which house is yours? I might as well have showed him the face of Muhammad right there. So right. come on, which one is yours? And he's like, he's just, imagine going from birth to boom, seeing an iPad. Right. So he, we did talk him in and then we, uh, we, we um, drove some vehicles to the Pesh River Valley up the mountain, walked down as we're going up the mountain. And this has been days we're awake. They, uh, some, some, uh, Rangers flew in in helicopters and did grab Marcus and flew him out. But that was like, but that's one of the things now where that's why the training that we briefly discussed is so yeah. hard because when you're on a mountain in Afghanistan, I remember looking at guys exhausted right. and saying, this is why training is so hard because if we wanted to quit right now, where the fuck are you going to go? Do you have to go all the way back now down yeah. the hill again? You're not, where are you going? Right. Yeah. Yeah, so we got to go back down right around. And then once everybody, the European guys are gone and they just come up and just fucking blow the hills up. No, they got Marcus out. We, they, they recovered all three bodies. They recovered everybody from the crash site. And then we blew up the, I think they might've blown up the helicopter. Then you leave because most of the people there had no idea why we were there. Is that, is that the closest you ever came to dying? Was that mission? No, no. The closest I ever came to dying was out of that same place. 
same crew. Um, I did have some, um, a couple years later, I had called it. Um, we found out where Al Qaeda, if you can believe this, learned that we won't go into Pakistan because we believe in borders sometimes. We don't believe in our own, but we'll believe in theirs. Yeah. Um, there was two houses on the other side of Pakistan because Asadabad is right near the border. And I found these two. I was working with some intelligence guys that if we can, if we get to the border, if we can cause a fight. So this is years after, this is 2000, so three years after the Latrell thing, Lone Survivor. If we can get them to shoot at us in the daytime, then we have what's called positive identification and um, troops in contact. So a PID and a tick. We can pursue them. I think it was up to 11 kilometers into Pakistan. So the plan is, and the plan never works. Mm -hmm. My beautiful plan is if they shoot at us, we have 11 clicks where we can hit this house and this house, find Al Qaeda. Sounds great. <clears throat> so we inserted and um, we're on top of this. We were up on this mountain for um, maybe overnight through the day, but long this enough. Is the, this is the story of closest coming to coming death. Coming to death, yes. And we're on this mountain and these, these uh, there, was, there was a thing called the Frontier Corps, which is uh, the police that we armed that are Taliban. And they saw us, but we're with Afghan. We're with Afghanis, so we're all dressed like Afghanis. So there's four or five Americans and a couple Afghanis. So they just think we're um, Afghanis. So we're like, go down there, talk to them, and then don't say there's Americans here because we want them to shoot at us. All stupid shit like that. So the guys came back, and they're our Afghans are talking to us. They could speak English, and these two guys kind of roll over to their side of the border, and all of a sudden these trucks start showing up, and there's full. They're full of people. So truck after truck after truck, and we're like. Oh shit, this is a lot more dues than we planned. So I, I was the ground force commander and I was like, okay, well, we should just leave. If we leave over the, it's daytime, the sun's up. If we just go this way, maybe they won't see us. We have the high ground, but I don't want to fight it out with all these dudes. So we kind of skirt around this, whatever number, and we're going we're gonna to go back to where we can call helicopters. And there was a guy with me that I'd never heard speak English before, but he finally yelled out his first words in English. He went, bad guys, bad guys. And we turn around and look up the mountain and we're getting surrounded by these Taliban dudes. And so they're, just, they're shooting at us to a point where um, I know I need to get to my radio guy, who is a brand new radio guy. Um, not, not a, he's a Navy SEAL, but he's never called fire in a gunfight. I need to get to him. He's about 100 or 200 meters away. The radio guys to call air support? Call air support. Mm -hmm. So uh, I had heard before that uh, I'd never done it, but we used to wear our gear in what's called lines of gear. You have your first line, your second line, your third line, worn in order of importance. Your third line gear is your least important stuff. It's, a, it's in a backpack. It's a, a, a sleeping bag, foot powder, extra socks. Yeah, it doesn't it's, seem that important. Not that important. Second line gear is sort of important. You got extra, you got your magazines, water, grenades. First line is your most important shit. It's on your belt and it's in your pocket. It's like you're, you got your belt, some a couple mags and like your Copenhagen. Mm -hmm. This is shit you need for your gunfight. So yeah. in order, you can, like the Vietnam guys would say, you can ditch it, like throw away your third line gear, your, your backpack. You throw away your, and so anyway, I ditch my third line gear, my backpack, and I run over to Tony. So this is like 100 or 200 meters. And now they're surrounding us on three sides, daytime, really bad stuff, to the point where we're laying down. There's no worse feeling of getting shot at where it's effective fire, but your fire won't reach them. So you can't even shoot back. So we're laying there and I said, Tony, here's the deal up top. Right up there, this kind of, I call it a flash checkpoint. That's where the, the whatever, hit the first bomb there. And he said, well, we don't have any air support. I'm like, well, that, okay, that's bad. We don't have any air support. So we got to wait for, I don't know why we didn't have any. So we don't have air support <clears> means <throat> it's going to, you could eventually have air support, but it's going to take a it's longer take, time. It's going to take a minute. Yeah. Okay. But they usually have when you do have it. Well, I, at this mission, it wasn't that high priority. So it wasn't ready for us. So we have to try to get in touch with, with Bagram Airfield. And then they need to fly here. How long is that process? Well, it took an hour. 
to get there. And it got to the point where these guys were so close on three sides that uh, like th there were guys shooting rocket propelled grenades at us that were set to, to air burst. So they would air burst ab above us to the point where I looked down and, you know, see if my legs were still there and they're, they're getting close. There was a dude shooting. He was a, he was a redhead dude that looked like me. Mm -hmm. and had a beard and he's shooting a PKM, which is a bell fed machine gun at us. And so he's a white guy with a red beard, but he's yelling Allahu Akbar. God is great. Or God is greater. And I'm seeing a white guy. God is greater. That's a Chechen. And if you're fighting a Chechen, you start to realize how serious those dudes are. This day is going to end one of two ways. We're going to win or we're going to die. That's it. Not a lot of options. This guy's, you're not going to talk your way out of this. It's all. And uh, I'm, <clears throat> there was a point there where, Two tracers flew in between. This is the closest I came to dying. Two tracers flew in between my, my hand and my ear. So the tracers are the bullets that are on fire. And there's like five real ones in between it. Mm -hmm. And at that moment, I started to think you know, about humanity. Like, okay, how does it feel to eat a bullet? Now, when you die, do you feel it? Uh, or do you just end up, where do you go? Like the weird shit. And all of a sudden I snapped too, because Tony said, I got one. I got I, 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 awesome. Cool. Hit that checkpoint. He said, I can't because the batteries on my radio just died. Mm. Now, I'm not a big believer in micromanaging anything, but now's the perfect time to micromanage. And I said, change the fucking batteries. And he said, I can't. I'm not carrying the spares. Remember, you are. And you dropped it in your They're third. backpack. That's number three. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, um, don't <laughs> tell my mom I did this. So I'm getting up. I have to run to this damn thing. He's, he's shooting. I, the, like the most annoying part was hearing Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. I'm like, I get it. God is great. I, got, I, I agree. So we finally get there. There's bullet holes in the damn thing. I pull them out. I'm running back to Tony. And we uh, separate the thing and he opens them. And then uh, the pilot was awesome because, uh, so I'm, I'm talking, he's talking. And um, pilots are incredible. Be you ever notice when you're flying, the pilots always have that monotone voice? Yeah, thank you for flying Southward Air. Yeah. That's to calm you down. Like when, when, you, when you're at 38,000 feet and you hit that big pocket and the pilot goes, well, obviously we hit some weather up here at 38,000. <laughs> That's to keep you calm. Because right. you can't do shit, so calm down. As a, imagine a pilot going, oh shit, this could be it. This is a big one. So uh, he's, just, he's just, everyone calm down, put your pants back on. I got this shit. So uh, the pilot, in order to call in air support, danger close in the daytime, the pilot's upside down because he's looking through his, uh, his, his fucking visor at you and you need to talk him in. Like you need to say shit like, okay, you can toast. You don't tell him where you are because if he's excited and he puts in your cord instead of theirs, mm -hmm. he'll, he might bomb you. So you got to like, okay, you know, my position, can you see to the Northwest, the, the peak with the snow? Yes. Can you see to the Southeast, the, the intersection of the river? Yes. That's one unit of measure. Please take two units of measure, zero, nine, five, whatever mm -hmm. my position. And then, and then he'll, whatever. And then he'll turn over and then he'll look at you and say something like wings lovely, like Roger that tally target wings level cleared off. Did he use the voice? The but he was doing voice? that, but here's what he did. What was so cool is he said, yes. uh, this is under fire and we're kissing death on the face. He said, <clears throat> just talk to me like I'm a man. And I said, I see why women find you attractive. <laughs> And that's, that calmed me down. He was calming me down. On when bullets are flying and then, Yeah. And then he came in and he dropped uh, three 2,000 pound JDAMs. And is that just like a. Oh, when that, when that, the way it's that, well, we called it and, and danger close. And so he's wings level, cleared hot. And the way you call it is if you can see forward movement, you're good. Like he's flying at you now. If you can see forward movement, it means he's moving. If you can't, you need to say abort because he might just drop right on top of you. Mm -hmm. We're at a point like cleared hot. And uh, Tony says something like, uh, well, what if the bombs hit us? And I go, no problem. No problem. Plug your ears. Right. You, 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 you kill us. Right. 
But uh, yeah, he came in and it, it sounded like bacon sizzling. It's like, is are here. you hearing them come in too? That must be the best feeling in the world. When you hear hearing those, the bombs come in, they just hiss. Did you hear the engines coming in, the planes uh, flying? You in? know he's up there. You can sort of hear he's up there high. But you hear the bombs and you hear him sizzle and then you then you see the you see and feel the heat of the explosion. He was so close. And he hit him and then all at that point. That's why you never say repeat on the radio. You say say again. Mm-hmm. But this time we said repeat. It means fucking that means for dash two, do it again. So we bombed we bombed Pakistan for three hours. Wow. And so, it was an it was an international incident. You can actually Google it. So what are you afraid of? Um, well, I used to be afraid of the Cowboys, but the Redskins aren't around anymore. I love it. So you always bring it back to a sports show in the sports category. That's why I love uh, Robert here. No, you know, um, I think fear is okay. I think fear is healthy. Mm-hmm. I think fear makes you think more clearly. I really do. Because uh, without fear, there would not be courage. If, if Think about when you watch a scary movie alone and you can hear everything in your house. That's fear working for you. But the fine line is, what scares me is panic. Mm-hmm. Because panic is contagious and we get killed. So do you think it's semi right now, obviously, with us out of Afghanistan completely, is it a safer time to enter the military? Are people are thinking about it? Um, I, you know, I think it's as good a time as any. I think the military is, it's, military is full of good people. And they're talking now about all the training and all the, uh, you know, the, the office training and everyone be kind to each other, which is fine. Don't, the military is going to do what it always does, take it to an extreme. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it's a great time to join the military. You get to see cool shit. I mean, regardless of your politics, we still have carriers and submarines and nuclear weapons and fucking jets. Imagine being a, like a young kid with the ability to get straight A's and go to the Air Force Academy and fly a jet. That's awesome. That would be pretty badass. Yeah, chicks dig that shit. I would totally do that. Can you fly? No. Do you have a fear of flying? No. Yeah, I was going to say, actually. Well, it's he, almost your realist. How would he have a fear of flying if he is on a helicopter <laughs> and yeah, uh, I'm a, waiting? I, I have a thousand jumps. Because when, when you left, actually, because after the Bin Laden mission, one of the crazy things you told me was that you guys still weren't safe after you killed him and then left the property, I guess if you want to call it. Yeah. Because it was still we, a 90-minute window to die. 90-minute to fly out. We're going to get shot down. Because you're in missile range. Yeah, and they know we're here, and we and they have jets that we sold them. They, we have they have F sixteens on the Bin Laden raid that we sold them. And how does that usually work? Once if they had found out, which they did, I think. Well, we need our F fifteens to come across the border and shoot them down, which is a big deal. Which is a big deal. Why? Well, because we invaded Pakistan illegally, and then we're just wrong. Well, yeah. So that I mean, what, there's the I mean, the president. Oh, so Obama's already going Southside Chicago politics on everybody. He's he's pulling the trigger. I love that shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now is he because we got some badass dudes flying on the border with F-15. So are they going to come over and shoot these F-16s down? And they don't even need to be over the horizon. They could shoot them. Down. And they didn't need any sort of. Well, they, that approval. was that was Pakistan that, that had the was, right to shoot you if you fly in. Oh, there. yeah. No doubt about it. Right. Could, like if they shot us down on the way in, I couldn't I could have died, but not been mad at them. It's like, hmm, good on you. We came into your Here backyard. We came, and apparently our engineers are our aliens who invented these. Helicopters weren't good enough. Right. Um, so what made you, did you, was it an age thing or what made you leave the military? No, it was, it was the complacency thing because we did the bin Laden raid and we, that was the best, the, we went from, that's the highest point is in my career. But I think in the history of the SEAL teams, we'd rescued Richard Phillips, we killed bin Laden. We're on it. We're the best friends in the world. And then in August, we lost a helicopter. 31 guys died. So we went from planning missions to planning funerals. And it, we, that's when you realize one shot can end that many lives, ruin that many lives. And I want to see my kids get married. I stopped, I stopped getting adrenaline and it's like, I need to leave. So are there, there rules that you have to stay in? No, no. Okay. I There's rules we have to get out like 30 years. I was at 16. So I okay. got out at 16 and a half. I did one more deployment um, after the bin Laden raid because we had to backfill the guys that died from the other squadron. So I actually, the, the last dude I killed was with the same gun that killed bin Laden. So bin Laden's not the last guy I killed with that gun. So if you could go back and do it all over again, do the same thing or would you go sell insurance? It's hard to say if I knew as much as I know now, I would do that jet thing. I think that would be cool. Mm-hmm. Cause I mean, I have heard funny, heard funny arguments. There's a place. I think called, you'd be a great at like commercial airlines pilot. You did a good, pretty, I'd be good at that shit. Yeah, I you think. Would, you'd, you'd I drink a little though. I'd feel <laughs> safe. 
Uh, we had an argument. There's this bar every Wednesday night in Virginia Beach. It's called Hot Tuna. It's a, a seafood joint, um, sushi joint, but then it's it's a bar where everyone goes. In Virginia Beach, there's a, um, um, Oceana, which is the air station, Master Jet Base, and there's Little Creek, which is the SEALs. And so we all meet, and everyone gets, I mean, for the most part, gets along. And there's always an argument. Who's got the coolest job in the Navy? Mm-hmm. Is it the pilots or is it the SEALs? And uh, I remember one of my good-looking friends arguing with this good-looking pilot. They're drinking and whatever. And my buddy goes, look, you got to realize, you don't have any Tom Cruises or Val Kilmer's flying jets. We got plenty of Charlie Sheens. Right, right. What did you do to get through all the all the... PS, PTSD stuff. Did you have like different techniques and methods? Did you just sit down and talk to people after all the shit? Yeah, you went um, I think a big a big thing with PTSD, and and it's important for people to realize you don't need to have been in combat to have post traumatic stress. You don't need to be a veteran. You can have shit that happens in your life that fucks you up and it lives with you. And like I said, a couple t- like fights t- with the girl or it, something like that. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, f- fights with I didn't look. Yeah, <laughs> fights with a girl, a car crash, uh, having a close friend die. Mm-hmm. Uh, something like that. And then you need to open up about it and talk to someone about it. I, I started seeing a shrink and I was, I was picky because I wanted to, um, I, I found a psychiatrist who was a Vietnam vet and that was important for me because he can relate. But then I started uh, dealing with some of the, uh, it shouldn't be experimental, but there's stuff out there like DMT. Oh or, God, or, don't or, even get into that. We talked about it all the time. Yeah. I mean, and DMT that actually, you think that actually works? Have you ever done that? Uh, yeah. You've actually taken DMT I love before. It. I absolutely love it. All right, we had a long conversation with Tyson about that too. Yeah, we love it. So what what does that do? What does that do for you? What, well, for me, it uh, it 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 just it for it's hard to describe. I'm sure you've heard Tyson talk about it. Where yeah. for me, it was I got a I every time I do it, I get I get a, a self escorted journey of my own soul. Like I guide myself to the like a spirit mother who takes me through history. Where you smoke it? I, uh, no, it's like it? an, it's like a vapor. Oh, it's a vapor, and I can't say where. It's not legal yet. Oh. Some guys go to Mexico. Okay. Um, but for, cause like the, and the way, the best way I can describe it, Robert can't disclose where he smokes his DMT at all. <laughs> yeah. It, it could have been in the other room, right? But it's, uh, It'd the way I describe it is, is, uh, it's like getting in a rocket ship and it's really, really rough until you get through the atmosphere and then you're in space. And it's, and by space, I mean, it's calm and you can like, you can see 360. What and, do you mean? What's the rough stage? Uh, it's fucking, it's a bad trip. You need to, that's, it's almost like you're telling yourself you need to give in, give into it. Cause if you fight it, you're going to have a, you're going to have a shitty time, but if you give into it, then, yeah, you, I wouldn't be then you start seeing the open space where th- th- you find peace. And mm. the first time I did it, I had my wife with me and it's been administered by a doctor and it was intense, I mean, intense and then amazing. And then all, and I, and I, I woke up and I said, Oh my God, how many hours is that? And she goes, it was like three and a half minutes. Like you're back. I'm like this is fucking incredible. Wow. But because it's not, it's, it almost, it just shows you it just shows you peace. It's a, it's a really calming thing. And, but the, I don't know why the military doesn't do it for more veterans. I mean, and it might not be DMT might not be the thing for everyone. It could be smoking weed, which they should be able to do. Mm-hmm. It's uh, I mean, th- they, they encourage drinking, but not weed. I can't yeah, remember. They didn't smoke in the military at all. No, no, not at all. They haven't really zero tolerance. Yeah. Right. I was going to say, yeah, that probably wouldn't be the best thing in the world. Having people run around baked in Afghanistan. Well, I, and- I wouldn't recommend any, any, uh, any, substances in a gun, in a gunfight right. other than adrenaline. Right. I always have so much fun with you. Dakota Meyer, obviously we always talk yeah. about too. And I love Dakota because Dakota, I asked, well, I asked him and Dakota was known for, I mean, he got ambushed in Afghanistan. Yeah. Dakota, he, he and I wrote that book together. I should have brought you a copy. I didn't, I'm sorry about that. I think I, I have a copy of one of you. How many you books had the operator, the first one. I had the operator. We wrote the, the way one. forward, which is more on this line of the Dakota went. And that was recent, right? You wrote that book. Yeah. We wrote it in March. It came okay. out in March. Okay. Um, yeah, Dakota went through some, some some serious shit. Like he was awarded the Medal of Honor, which is the highest award. In order to get a Medal of Honor, you should be dead. Obama and, gave that to him, right? Yes, he did. Okay, that's when he and some Marines went there for President Obama. To, uh, all the stories I have about Obama are just awesome. 
Right. But he said he went there with a few Marines and they drank the White House out of beer. And he said, you think it's hard doing a beer run? Some, imagine drinking the White House out of beer and sending more guys to get more <laughs> beer to bring back to the White House. Right. Where, where, where did he get, where did he get ambushed? Uh, he was in the Ganjagal Valley in Afghanistan, which was a little bit north of where I was. Mm -hmm. And he, but unlike me, he lost his entire crew. He was the only one to live. And he, he, he was awarded it because he went back in just to die with them, but he's pulling their bodies out and just kept living on the way. And he, he, it's his story, but he ended up getting in a fight hand to hand with a dude to the death. That's how close it came. Yeah. Oh, he was fighting it out. He said to a point, and this is his story. I don't want to ruin it. Right. He said, there's a point where you're fighting a guy and you're looking him in the eyes and you both know this is it for you. This is it. Mm -hmm. And then you kill him with a rock. <laughs> I've never done that shit. I'm, I'm lucky. Yeah. No but shit. he's, he's, I mean, crazy as they get, but I love him. He's the fucking man. He's fucking awesome. And that's, I mean, I asked him what he does to kind of cope with his. You know, well, Dakota just jumps out of airplanes. He does it. He flies a helicopter. He has his own helicopter. Yeah. He's uh he's an EMT. He does uh he does IVs for people. He's he's awesome. He does. He's do, always do you know about him jumping out of airplanes? Like this is a, he he yeah. does it like yeah. I'm like oh nice. I'm like how often? He's like oh, like five times a day. Yeah, that's a, like, that's also that, how that's does somebody find time to jump out of airplanes five times yeah, a fucking day? How does he day? find time for all this shit he does? I don't you know? know. But that's another thing too. That once you do it, like I recommend skydiving to everyone. No fucking chance Dude, again. Geez. I feel like a pussy. But I I'll tell you what, grab the parachute doesn't go off. You have the rest of your life to figure it out. Doesn't seem like that though, because I'd be falling. Oh, you, d you get it, you die. You didn't figure it out. Oh, okay, got it. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it's once you, once you, the hardest part of a skydive is from the from the 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 uh, seat to the door. That's the hardest part. Once you leave, it's game on. It's just it, it's awesome. I lied. How I, many times I, you got skydive? Over a thousand. Over a thousand. Yeah. This must be like a crazy like. No, it's thing fun. It's not can't crazy. Stop doing. It's not crazy. I learned after skydiving. I'm not. I'm not afraid of heights. I'm more afraid of widths, like really wide places. Mm -hmm. There you go. Now we're going to the fear. What you're afraid of? What? I'm kidding. It's an old joke. I mean, you got a lot of these hidden Ryan jokes. Show. I'm like taking seriously. You know? <laughs> I'm trying to be Barbara Walters in 60 minutes here with you. I forgot you know? the text. I like the shirt, by the way. I know you have your front toward enemy. That's another one too. The front toward enemy is um, what I said about mastering the basics. Mm -hmm. A front toward enemy is on the front of what's called a Claymore anti-personnel mine. And they used them a lot in Vietnam. And it's again, it's explosives and then 800 ball bearings, which means when I shoot them, they, they blow out at the bad guys. But if you turn it the wrong way, it kills the good guys. So what, the, what it says on the front is front toward enemy on the And so this for me is if you have a problem, face it. And so that's why I put on here front. So toward I don't enemy. have to be like a badass looking dude. No, it's to wear your that shirt you're you're dealing with your shit. And even the hoodies we make, they say front toward enemy on, and on the back of a claymore, it says back. Mm -hmm. So it says front toward enemy. And on the back, it says back. And it's not necessarily a hoodie. It's just an instruction manual on how to put a hoodie on. That's the back. Interesting. I got to get you some of that too. I always have so much fun with Robert. Robert's one of the greatest <laughs> guys in the world. We've done this, I think, three times now, right? Yeah, yeah. We got, like I said, we have all kinds of shit to talk about. Yeah, we got a golf. You have a, a tournament. Yes. You have a tournament coming up. Golf tournament. Yeah, it's in Nashville. It's for Special Operators Transition Foundation. I started a foundation for veterans once they leave because you got to figure, dudes with twenty years retire at thirty-eight. Now what? You know, yeah. I sign a mortgage. I got to. So we introduce. And the money's not that great, right? Uh, not in the military, no. But what, what we do is we introduce veterans to any environment. And I've had, I've had CEOs tell me that we'll teach them the job. They want the problem solving skills. They want the stress management. They want the communication. And so the uh, SOTF special operators transition foundation makes the intro, gives them a, a, a transition period. And they, I've never had a, a, a somebody that runs a business not say this is the best person that's ever worked for me. Mm -hmm. So we do a thing in Nashville. We've got a couple celebs that show up for that. It's fun. We go off. Lee Bryce was there. Kid rocks there. Mm -hmm. Um, um, Bunch of people. We play golf, have some drinks, have some food, have an auction, listen to music. It's it's a blast. I'm trying, I've been trying to sit down with. Uh, well, first of all, I want to play in that, obviously. But Should. I just think I'm doing. I'm shooting that. I can't say it. The movie I was going to say, stupid movie. It's awesome. I don't movie. mean to be like it's you know. It's just it's a long. It's twelve oh. hour fucking days, oh, yeah. and I'm laying there as a dead fucking body. 
And it's just like, it gets old and I'm not an actor. That's a good story. The three hours playing dead. That's really good. Yeah, no, I sat there. I was telling, I'll tell this. I mean, I was sitting there and uh, yeah, just playing dead thinking I was in the scene the whole time. And then long story not even short, on camera. these actors were like, the cameras aren't even on you, bro. Like, what are you doing? And I'm just like sitting there. Jill and Hall's like doing his whole scene. I'm thinking, I'm like, how am I I'm worried? Am I moving my body the right way and shit? And I'm just like, I am such a fucking idiot. I just don't belong here. So this might be my last movie, but Robert, always a pleasure yeah, sitting man, with you. Fun. I think we got to some fun stuff. It's oh, always, definitely, definitely. we got to, we got to do the golf thing. We got to, yeah, we'll football season's coming up. Yep. We got to have some cocktails and drinks, but Absolutely. you're the fucking Cheers, man. Brother. I love you. Fun. All right. Good shit. Thank you, Robert. I love you. I love you. You always have a good time. Of course. No, That's why I wasn't worried about talking. We got to get some, we got to get some pictures too, man. Yes, we do. Yeah, 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 we do. Ye